天上太阳红呀红彤彤儿，心中的太阳是毛泽东儿，他领导我们的解放儿，人民翻身当家做主人。Welcome to the Kingless Generation, a podcast on the deep history of class struggle, paleo parapolitics, and the demonology of capital. I'm your host, Fergal Schmudlock, and I'm honored to have today the President of the United States of America from the Minion Podcast, which、uh, that name is actually quite relevant to what we're going to be discussing today, which is trashy,、uh, petty bourgeois, pig slop. Pop culture, because、uh, so a minion. Could I ask you to explain for our listeners what a minion is in its original context? Oh boy.、Um, so I didn't pick the name. I came on after. So、mm. the best of my knowledge, a minion is a group of Jews.、Mm. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, isn't it like a quorum、um, of elders that have come、like、together a, for yeah, like, self governance、like、purposes? Yeah, it's like a quorum of elders that kind of just—it's—it's it's essentially a community of Jews.、Um, yeah, is how I've come to understand it, and it's typically a quorum that is like the community leadership board, I guess, in colloquial、mm-hmm. terms. Yeah, and isn't that hilarious? Really because.、Uh, We're we're so we're discussing some some bourgeois pig slop、uh, film from Japan today, but in America, one of the most famous series is is the Minions, right?、Um, which is actually, if you watch this as a communist, you you can't miss the anti-communist Cold War propaganda angle on it. Which is, I mean, it's it's treated in a funny way. It's kind of like post. We're sort of yeah, we're done caring about anti-communism, but yeah, obviously the、uh, all the villains are these communist dictators, basically, and their minions are,、uh, you know, where does that word come from? That actually comes from the idea that、uh, it is Jews who are somehow behind revolutionary movements and working class struggles. And that those struggles are actually a cover for the secret power of the Jews that will take over, right? And、uh, this is the doctrine of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which we will, which, which,、uh, the latest, not maybe it's not the latest anymore.、Uh, it's taken a minute for us to sit down since I saw this, but you still can't get it on streaming. So this is a new-ish Doraemon movie, right? So Doraemon is the robot cat. Uh, I have already done on this podcast one episode about a Doraemon film that was came out right directly with the Ukraine war, and it featured all kinds of Ukraine war themed propaganda. It was a reboot of a late Cold War Doraemon film that was very anti-Russian and and did the whole you know 1984 kind of thing, but also like we defeated we defeated the evil empire and it was the Soviet Union. So hooray, right? Was that one?、Uh, this one, it's called it's called、um, Nobita's Sky Utopia.、Um, I guess it's still it's、uh, Doraemon the movie twenty twenty three. I have the booklet that they give you in the theater、uh, when you see it right here. But the basic thesis of this film, just to get 
my thesis out here real quick is that is the protocols of the elders of Zion, but maybe minus the Jewish part, maybe without, you know, too much emphasis on it. But actually, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you'll have to see, you know, uh, by the time you listen to this, maybe you can actually go and stream this with English subtitles and, and everything and see what you think. When I tried to find it on the piracy websites, it was, they, they had Hindi subtitles, but they didn't have, you can find everything in Hindi, but they you didn't could get have, it. Uh, well, yeah, that's good. They didn't have English. You can at least see the one character, right? That, well, so yeah, that's the basic thesis. This, but it, the the plot is the protocols, the real protocols, not as they're often misunderstood, but the real point of the protocols, which is don't be a communist, don't be a socialist, right? Uh, because it's a secret plot by the Jews, right? And that's the main point. Uh, and in researching the protocols. Uh, in Japan, you know, I've come, I read this work by Jacob Kovalio, The Russian Protocols of Zion in Japan, which is the most detailed treatment. And it's nice how Kovalio actually uncovers previously unknown connections uh, to anti Semitic discourse in Japan, even before the big entry, the big debut of the protocols in the international world after the 1920s with the. Uh, Russian Revolution, the foundation of the Soviet Union, and the failed invasion of the early Soviet Union by all the major capitalist powers at once, including Japan, whose invasion lasted the longest. They were sniffing around Siberia for oil for a very long time. But that wasn't the first time that they had heard uh, of Jewish plots and so on, actually, as Kovalio shows. But on the other hand, Kovalio's book is very Zionist. And it's fascinating what a Zionist has to do with the protocols to make it not be about communism and to actually make it say in all but like one line of this book, Jacob Cavallio is doing contortions and backflips and, and it's an, an amazing uh, acrobatic show. But trying to say that the protocols, really what it says is don't found the state of Israel because it'll be so strong it'll just it'll just destroy uh, everybody and and it'll rule the world uh rather than don't be a communist because it's a secret jewish plot right so here are the specific citations on that on, from page 9 of Covalio. uh we have his one his main theory that he actually does put it under the name of a, another scholar called Cesare de Michaelis Cesare de Michaelis who depicts the protocols as, quote, a Russian parody of Theodore Herzl's Judenschat, the Jewish state, which is a 1896 pamphlet in German urging the formal renewal of Jewish nationhood according to international law and with the support of the major powers as an antidote to anti-Semitism carried out on the thematic framework of the rabbi's speech in the textual style of Jolie's dialogue in reaction to the 1901 Fifth Zionist Congress. So this Zionist Congress happened, they're going to found the state of Israel, and the Russian anti-Semites are just so afraid of that that they wrote the protocols, is what's being said here, right? Expressing an alarmed awareness, this is Kovalio again, that Zionism was becoming something serious. According to Demichelis, it was the founding of the Karen Kayemet Le Israel, 
the Jewish National Fund, at the Fifth Zionist Congress that worried the Tsarist regime. But most importantly, Demichelis has identified at least seven versions of the protocols, each containing 22, 24, or 27 sections, parts of which circulated already around 1897. Okay, so this is the person actually who has done the most real textual criticism on the protocols. So that's important. I would want to see that. But it sounds like he is the source of Covalio's uh, Zionist understanding of the reason why the protocols existed. Now compare that to the actual protocols. Protocol number three, subsection, we support communism. The people under our guidance have annihilated the aristocracy who were their one and only defense and foster mother for the sake of their own advantage, which is inseparably bound up with the well-being of the people. Nowadays, with the destruction of the aristocracy, the people have fallen into the grips of merciless money-grinding scoundrels who have laid a pitiless and cruel yoke upon the necks of the workers. Certainly true enough, but uh, I don't know about the idea that the aristocracy would not also do this. Uh, we appear on the scene as alleged saviors of the worker from this oppression when we propose to him to enter the ranks of our fighting forces, socialists, anarchists, communists, to whom we always give support in accordance with an alleged brotherly rule of the solidarity of all humanity, of our social masonry. The aristocracy, which enjoyed by law the labor of the workers, was interested in seeing that the workers were well-fed, healthy, and strong. We are interested in just the opposite, in the diminution, the killing out of the goyim. That's the, it's Hebrew word for the nations, right? Um, there's this legend that it means cattle somehow, but no, goy means a nation, goyim, nations, plural. Um, our power is in the chronic shortage of food and physical weakness of the worker, because by all that, this implies he is made to s the slave of our will, and he will not find in his own authorities either strength or energy to set against our will, Hunger creates the right of capital to rule the worker more surely than it was given to the aristocracy by the legal authority of kings. By want and the envy and hatred which it engenders, we shall move the mobs, and with their hands we shall wipe out all those who hinder us on our way. But no, Covalio, following this earlier scholar, Demichelis, claims that the protocols, the main point is don't found the state of Israel. So that was fascinating <laughs> for me. He goes through, he gives a very good a history of idea. the protocols in. Well, I think it, I wondered, I wanted to get your read on how typical this is, right? I, I don't know. You know, I uh, for listeners, I am not a Jew. I'm a half Volga Deutscher, right? I, out of my interest in christianity at one point i learned hebrew and so on and you know that's my extent and i know some german right the notably christian language of hebrew uh yeah well <laughs> right <laughs> actually i have an episode on that i have an episode on uh based on a book called when god spoke greek 
And it's all about how actually a lot of the Greek Jewish books of the so-called Old Testament, right? And the Septuagint, the yeah. Greek version is the actual basis of unique Christian doctrines growing out of Second Temple Judaism, which was this Greek-based thing, you know? So it's kind of parallel to the denial of Yiddish and the uh, all of this with Hebrew and, right? So, so check that out too. But uh, yeah, I wanted to get your read on this. How how typical is this? He's he's jumping and he's through all these hoops. Every time he mentions Karl Marx, he's he says the the radical communist agitator and anti-Semite Karl Heinrich Marx. You know, it's just like oh, just pour out the get out, bust out the German middle name there. Make sure you. Imagine him goose stepping. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. When, of course, yeah, as listeners will know, he's 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 Jewish, right? He's a Jewish person. Um, he said that. Religious, uh, but, yeah. He wrote on the Jewish question, though, and that is an anti-Semitic work. That was that's um, in this. That's in here. Jacob Cavallio says that too. Yeah. Without just drops that in. He wrote a book called "On the Jewish Question," so you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Which that, that's uh, how everyone says that he was anti-Semitic, but if you actually read it, it's not. Uh, well, he's you, dealing with you, the national question in this case, right? Yeah, it's the national question applied to Jews, and it turns out Jews Jews aren't a nationality. Uh, mm. <laughs> sorry for all the Zionists who don't like hearing it, but if you're conflating Judaism with the nationality, you're you're a Zionist. Um, mm which is why we have all of these people who are conflating now anti-Semitism well, and Zionism. And with the Ukraine war uh, renewed, uh, you know, so many old Nazi ways of thinking are on display in German media. And uh, one of those is the idea that German Jews are not Germans, right? Which is deadly. You know, that's Jew, Jews are, are members of the nation that they are a member of. Right. And and you can, you know, however much you think blood quantum or DNA means anything, you can go to the DNA testing or something. You know, there's there's no Middle Eastern or there's not a lot of Middle Eastern heritage among European Jews. There's people that converted to Judaism through the, the long process of medieval Europe, which was a very multicultural place, which had was half under uh, Islamic rule. Right. People are becoming Jews and acting as middlemen in that context. I just got a hold of the Rutledge Companion to Iberian Studies, is it? Uh, huge thing, again, sort of arguing on the importance of the Semitic elements of medieval Spain. Uh, yeah. And, oh, Christians and Muslims in Early Medieval Italy, a source book is another great one that I got. Huh. Yeah, I really want to go through that, that for the podcast too. Yeah, uh, there, because, you know, that that's be why... That yeah. We can collaborate on. Because I've, I've been wanting to do a series on like uh, Jews in like, not ancient, but like a series on Jews in India or Japan 
of like a historical examination in different regions. Oh, yeah. I don't know a lot about peoples in those areas. I, I do know that like mm. that the anti-Semitism in 1800s and 1700s Japan mm. was like uh, was like Jews are really good businessmen, but it wasn't wasn't like the the European conniving Jew kind of trope. It was like how do we how do we become good businessmen kind of thing. There's a yeah, there's a certain element oh, of that which is actually really funny. So a more a less kind of raging Zionist treatment is a chapter from a book which I forget I printed it out. David G. Goodman, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion in Japan. It's a chapter. Here it is. It's from the book The Global Impact of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, uh, edited by Esther Webman or Web, Webman, right? Uh, page 163, here we go. The figure that I was thinking of. Uh, paradoxically, in the post-war period, some of the pre-war proponents of the protocols used their promotion of its theories to prove their credentials as, quote, friends of the Jews. So the theories of the protocols. Foremost among these was Inuzuka Koreshige, a Navy captain during the war who, between 1940 and 1942, was in charge of the more than 20,000 Jewish refugees living in Shanghai. So he was like, you know, saving the Jewish refugees, right? Uh, Japan did not famously uh, comply with Nazi German requests to persecute Jews, right? Uh, but he's a big Protocols fan, actually, the guy who was in charge of that. So he has this... Uh, that, however, is very common, in fact. There's a whole chapter in this book as well. I wish I had read more of it, actually, and I, I'm going to read the rest of it now. Um, there's a whole chapter about that phenomenon as a transnational phenomenon of kind of like philo-Semitic anti-Semites. Uh, maybe chiefly a lot of Christians, right? A lot of like Christian Zionists because they want... Uh, Zion, they want Zion to reemerge as a prerequisite to Jesus coming back, and so on. You know these these guys. So, so Inuzuka, he was selected for this position of like taking care of the Jewish refugees because he had authored numerous tracts based on the protocols, arguing the extraordinary power of the Jews, and as a consequence, was regarded as an expert on Jewish affairs. Rather than exterminate them, as the Germans advocated, however, Inuzuka argued that Japan should befriend the Jews and exploit their supposed awesome power for the benefit of the Japanese Empire. Among other things, Inuzuka co-authored a memorandum coined the Fugu Plan, and there's an entire monograph called the Fugu Plan, which is about this, and it proposed that Japan create a Jewish homeland for the Jews in East Asia in order to avail itself of Jewish capital and expertise. Uh, the memorandum never became government policy, but it was indicative of efforts by some Japanese to mobilize, quote, Jewish power for the good of Japan. So that's true. Um, at the same time, what I found, I actually read the Protocols of the Elders of Zion or the version I could find anyway. And that's another interesting thing. What version are you reading for this episode? And I was struck by the way that the text itself is pretty ambivalent. You know, I, you, I, I feel like a lot more, I don't know, maybe a lot of work has been done on the protocols. 
but I couldn't find, you know, with Mein Kampf, they just came out with like a, a critical, I mean, it, not just now, but several years ago, it was a big deal when there was a German critical edition that was printed, right? Uh, but I haven't seen that. I couldn't find that for the protocols. You know, you sent me one that was printed like by the FBI. I went with the one that I found on Libgen, which looked a little bit more original, like maybe the 1920 or so translation of Victor yeah. Marsden. It looked like it, that was what it was, but reading it through, then I'm seeing all these ellipses. So I might've read actually a truncated version. Uh, and then there are all these italics. There are, there are notes in italics, which are like, you know, maybe Timothy McVeigh era um, Usenet kind of additions is what it feels like because it's all like oh this is janet reno or something you know <laughs> it's mm -hmm. very dated um they're sort of identifying oh this refers to this right but when you read it though no this is the really cool this is another big point i, I feel like leftists of i don't know a certain caliber i mean are you really is somebody really in danger of being seduced by the protocols maybe they are but for cadre, for someone who is not, I feel like it's really like you can recognize you should need to be able to recognize when somebody is quoting the protocols. You need to be able to know how this works and how to disarm it. And most of all, I feel like we need to understand this is, you know, the the wild uh, Twitter poster, um, Too Young Badass, for example, is, is one of these accounts kind of like crypto cuttlefish that has these long threads that go on for, you know, I turned one into a PDF and it was 300 pages, uh, but oh brilliant stuff. Really cool. It's like a, it's like a secret garden sculpted out of paper clips that you just wandered into <laughs> like, and, uh, but he, so he has, has speculated at times about like, what is there a place where the ruling class writes their real history? Right. Like where, where do they, you know, whatever kind of thing you want to think about. Uh, is there a place they write it? Is it all just oral transmission? You know, is, is there a, a book somewhere? Uh, this is it. This is one of it. I think reading this, this is one of the things because it addresses you at a certain point. You know, it's, it's really wild to read closely and be like, who is the I and who is the you here? Who is and. By the time you get into it, you know, like halfway through, maybe it's all like what we are going to do when we come into our kingdom, when the king of the Jews is the dictator of the whole world and what the system is going to be like. At a certain point, again and again, they forget to make it evil. They forget to make it sound bad. It's like they're literally just straight up recommending, yeah, this is what we need to do, you and I, you know, we bourgeois actually. You know, when the ma the mask of the Jew slips off, it's all, you know, you imagine yourself as like a car dealer or the owner of a chain of frozen yogurt stands. Uh, you're, you're a petty bourgeois subject or something reading the protocols and think about it. That is exactly who reads the protocols and nobody else, you know, certainly not all of it. Uh, how are you really going to be reading this? You're going to be thinking, oh, this is what they do. This is what we have to do. We have to do that too. Oh, they manipulate the media. They create controlled opposition. They pretend to 
Uh, they, they create opposing viewpoints that are nonsense and put them out in the media, get people arguing about uh, meaningless stuff that doesn't mean anything. We need to do that. Oh, that's great. That's great. Good stuff. Jew, I, I guess, like, or, or is, is that what they think? Or I think at a certain level, they realize that this mask of the Jew is really just a little masquerade for the low level members of the ruling class. You know, only in the first couple chapters do they bother with that, uh, saying, yeah, the, our plot is to turn everyone into communists and socialists and fighting for the working class. And then well, on this pretext, we will take over. But the the voice there is is hard right. You know, there is nothing but might and power in human society. And we must everyone must grab power and rule. You know, you can imagine these people reading this. Oh, yes, this is our doctrine. This is our, you know, it's like that's their Bible, maybe, is the way that I, that's what I kept thinking, reading it. What do you think? It's also very pro, it's also very pro-monarchist. Yeah. Yeah, they keep saying, oh, the one thing, the one thing that could save the peoples of Europe from us is their monarchy. There's not even a smack of like, British constitutional monarchy. It's just like absolutism throughout. Yeah, well, I, the um, when you get into the the layers of like our rule, what our rule looks like, uh, there is more of like, yeah, we we give everyone the illusion of totally participating in everything. There's the scene of like when there's a group of people around the monarch in public, the monarch must appear in public all the time. The, the king of the Jews, I think, at the end of our plan, um, will appear in public and everyone will see him all the time. There'll be no security around him. You know, no one could imagine that anyone would attack the, the monarch. But actually, all the people around him are plainclothes plants. It's all, you know, security officers who look like ordinary people. But when an ordinary person comes with a letter for the king, they come with a letter, they come with a petition something they want to say uh with the greatest solicitude the fake ordinary people plainclothes officers around the monarch must take that and hand it and and make the greatest show of handing it to him and he sees everything so that anyone who experiences anything bad must think in their in their heart oh if only the king knew of this then you know the the only problem is just that he doesn't know about it and that i mean that does remind you of of some of the worst stories about stalin People were, that was their psychology of the cult of personality. And that's a bad direction that that takes you in, isn't it? Actually, no, this is Fergal from the future. I remember what this was. This was not about Stalin. That is a fake memory implanted in me by the Anglo-American anti-communist propaganda complex. This is about Mao. And this is from a talk that I attended by Frank de Cotter about his book. He gave a talk at my university back around 2010, it would have been, when this book came out. This book is famous, notorious, for one misquote that um, somebody was confronting him about. Would it have been Dongping Han, the author of The Unknown Cultural Revolution? I don't remember. Uh, his, so De Cotter 
quoted, cherry-picked a couple words out of a speech by Mao Zedong where he was accusing some uh, capitalists of, of, you want to starve half of our people. Is that, you're saying it's better to starve half of our people? It was in a quote. It was presented rhetorically in this way. Uh, and Decatur just quotes him as saying, uh, it is better to let half of the people die so that the other half can eat their fill. As he, he literally said that, which is totally disingenuous, totally fake. Uh, he said in his talk that I heard, and I attended in person, he said uh, people were recorded as saying, if only Mao knew what was happening. Everyone had the attitude. If only Mao knew about this, he would fix it. Uh, and that's exactly what the protocols says. We're going to cultivate that sort of uh, consciousness in our people when we, the Jews, take over. So if, that would mean, uh, if what Decatur says that everyone thought about Mao, if only Mao knew about this, uh, cannot be substantiated from the historical record, does that mean that Decatur consciously or unconsciously lifted that from the protocols? Has he ever read the protocols of the elders of Zion? Does he believe they're real? There are many questions. I have so many questions. I think it's interesting, too, because it, it's, at least with the monarchy, it's recognizing that at that by that point of time, people were definitely not super satisfied, but didn't want to admit that we should start having some kind of ref, actual reform to it, even though in Russia, they eventually ended up having some kind of fake parliamentary system. Mm. Um, right. But like they, this was acknowledging like the king would be so beloved that the the deep state, if you want to call it that, or just the, the yeah. monarchy would be secretly hidden right below the surface. Mm. That even, even his supporters and even his, even the state apparatus yeah, even the, the repressive state apparatus would be hidden right below the surface. We wouldn't even notice it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, that's what all of the petty bourgeois media is today. It's the repressive and ideological state apparatus hidden right below the surface. Mm -hmm. So you bring your kids to a little robot cat cartoon and you don't even notice <laughs> you're making them all little capitalists. Yeah, and and even little protocols theorists, right? Uh, so I suppose I should, uh, that's my cue to, to give the basic plot of this, which, so Nobita is this boy who is like your typical middle class underachiever is, is the, the figure that you're being given to identify with or maybe feel superior to as a kid. You know, he always sort of does cartoonishly bad on tests and is horrified at having to bring them home to show his mother, right? Uh, and honestly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But so he, uh, but but the overall, oh God, I mean, it, it encapsulates the role of the ideological function of Doraemon, this film. So Nobita in school, he's learning about, oh, there's a historical phenomenon whereby People have imagined utopias. People have imagined an ideal uh, situation. And, and that's on one of the first pages in this little booklet. Utopia number one, for some reason, is Tula. I mean, well, I mean, it, yeah. 
it's not the first thing as an American kid you would hear of. But yeah, number one thing, Tula. Then you get Atlantis. Then you get uh, the Yugujo is the palace of the dragon kings on the bottom of the ocean in Japanese mythology. You have the Taoyuan Xiao, the peach garden of the gods in Chinese mythology. So he reads about these things and he's like, yeah, there could be a utopia where I wouldn't have to do bad on my test and everyone could have equal. I mean, they're careful to to set it up, I think, usually as everyone can be equally talented and you have equal strength and, and so on. Right. Set it up as a good paper tiger to knock down. But then he he starts to suspect maybe there could be one of these in reality and maybe it's floating on a spaceship and maybe it was maybe I saw something in the sky and so doraemon he gets doraemon doraemon is a robot cat from the future who has all kinds of special powers he lives with nobita in his house his parents like know about doraemon it's not that's not a secret to them but often the particular adventure that they're on they have to kind of keep it secret from the adults and that's a part of the fun of of your usual doraemon story so Doraemon gets researching with his special tools and he he realized, oh, there were apparitions of a, a utopian community floating in the sky at these various times in history. What if that was real? You get kind of an ancient aliens kind of thing. Suppose that was real, you know, a real spaceship or something. Uh, and we trace that through history. And then we can uh, Doraemon can also time travel. So we'll go to a particular time in history and a particular place where it might have appeared. And we try to find it and they find it. They find it. And and what they find is this uh, paradise utopia. The, the name of it is a combination of those two words, paradapia. So utopia plus paradisu. And paradapia is this moon-shaped thing with all these floating islands. Uh, they have a robot cat kind of like Doraemon, but much more advanced. And they sort of join and it's like joining a cult kind of, you know, and you're, you get this vibe and this would be one way to read this film that was a little more blue pilled would be like, Oh, the unification church has been in the news since the Abe assassination, you know, and, and people are aware about the danger of cults. And this is a lot like a cult. Everyone has like a uniform and you get a little badge that shows how, um, actualized you are i guess everyone gets you know ideal food that is calibrated exactly for their health situation the there are classes the school there spends as much time as they need to to teach each and every person to the best of their ability uh really actualize all their potentials right and there's there's like uh, sort of like multidisciplinary, you know, the gimmick is like we're doing uh, we're doing math at the same time that we're doing physical education. So maybe, which in reality, right? I mean, that's, that can be really good for children who have a hard time sitting still. Children can have a lot of energy, have trouble sitting still for a class. And then, well, if, if class doesn't- Or have involve, trouble learning yeah. in traditional ways. Exactly. So, you know, this is just like unconventional education, uh, Montessori. I don't, I'm not an expert in any of that, but sounds great. You know, this is really good stuff. Okay. We're moving our bodies. We're learning 
by being out in the world and like moving around an obstacle course and answering math problems and stuff. Sounds great. And they keep going. But then at night, there's this kind of ninja futuristic person with like lady with a cape and has um, sunglasses that have like rainbow, like a rainbow visor look. Was there a brand of those that was popular a year or so ago? I don't recall. I'm not up on these things, but yeah, that rainbow sunglasses, visor thing, futuristic looking hero kind of sneaks in at night. And Nobita wakes up at night and kind of is out. And this rainbow visor hero is visiting a uh, one of the children in the ideal community and meeting with them. And, and this is a dissident. Uh, this is like a, a national national endowment for democracy agent has has snuck into the the totalitarian regime and is meeting with a dissident child who understands the real reality behind the rulers of the Paradapia. Paradapia is is ruled by three beautiful uh, blonde haired people in togas, or two of them are wearing togas. Uh, who are known as the San Kenjin, the three elders. Uh, and that's almost the same word as um, Shion no, what, what is it? Uh, Ken, Kenja, it's usually Kenja. So it's just a slightly different term for elder. Um, but the three elders are the rulers, supposedly, of Paradapia. Those elders... It's totally aside. Yeah. Is there like a, a cultural thing in Japan with togas or is that like a Western import of Roman and Greek myth? It would just be, yeah, I mean, embrace of the British Empire view of world history where okay. Greece and Rome are at the core <laughs> of everything worthwhile. And yeah, that was Recently, totally embraced slave, by modern the Japan. slave societies were the the cultural utopias of of history. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, that's whole. I mean, Japan's whole thing in the modern period is like, re I sometimes reacting against it, but often being an honorary white country, right? Reacting against white supremacy in the Pacific War, trying to create a you know, Pan-Asianism as this separate thing. Yeah, very complicated. Gerald Horn is the best for that, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. I got to get through those two books if I can just get through my... So busy. So, yeah, the three elders are uh, ruling this this ideal community. But what, what the dissident reveals is that actually, actually what they're doing is they're collecting this light with the giant moon thing. The light is not creating positive energy and, and actually actualizing the personalities of everyone and, and getting all their talents optimized, right, to make them be the best people they can be. What's actually happening is that everyone is being brainwashed to obey the elders. The elders want to have total power over you, and that is why they're pretending to create this ideal community for self-actualization with with advanced education methods so 
and and Nobita begins to believe this. He realized, oh, oh, the, you know, he starts to look at his friends, you know, and he's like, his friends have have stopped fighting the way they used to fight. They're not fighting. They're they're sharing their food and so on where they used to fight. Oh, but that's not that's not like them. That's not you know my friends were selfish and and I, you know that was cute or something or that was you know I can identify with that or something. But but now they're they're they had this robotic like oh yes I will share my food with you, and it's very <laughs> we're supposed to hate that we're supposed to think oh that's that's not real that's not good. Right, supposed to be a militant war culture. Yeah, exactly. Dominate the slaves, and uh, if you are one of the lower middle class drones, you must simply accept your place. You know, you just try harder. Oh God, I mean, this is good timing because I actually got subjected to another family movie time that I can't talk about with my family without being super annoying. Uh, just recently, which was. <laughs> Uh, oh god this is a whole different one crayon shinchan which is more kind of comedy focused but it's the same kind of salary man you know with with a housewife mother and the the little boy it's a it's more surreal and kind of you know zany slapstick comedy always breaking the fourth wall the writing is a lot like 30 rock actually the whole 30 rock yeah. thing is almost like taken from anime like more comedy focused anime is always sort of like you know they'll suddenly say something in kansai dialect you know like western dialect and they'll be like why did you just say yeah. something in kansai dialect? well it's because this part of the exposition of the plot always gets boring and i thought i wanted to put in a little something a little bit funny to pass the time that sort of thing very early 2000s <laughs> yeah yeah so but oh my god, this one I just saw—the the new one that just came out—it's uh, about a frustrated youth who becomes sort of revolutionary. Maybe he wears like a tattered black uh, flannel and on over a red, bright red shirt, and um, he gets hit by a star that contains all the negative energy, all kinds of negative ESP, psychic psychic powers that he gets. So he becomes a giant monster. And, um, you know, Crayon Shinchan has to defeat him, basically. And and the ending of the movie is like, yes, you were defeated by, you were trodden down by uh, this world that, you know, this whole Crayon Shinchan mythology is all about a nuclear family, post-war picket fence, kind of salary man and housewife thing, right? That's the whole franchise. But they're sort of acknowledging, yeah, there's actually no more salary men. Everybody's an Uber driver. There's been, you know, since the 90s total, they call it the employment ice age where nobody has, none of the young people have gotten jobs and still corporate Japan operates on this philosophy of that is like cast, almost cast based, you know, your, your fate at the end of university, the first job you get, you get a job, then you can keep getting jobs and you can advance through the ranks. But if you didn't get a job, the drawbridge, the ladder is pulled up. Uh, the the few sort of bullshit, you know, very much David Graeber bullshit jobs, office jobs that still exist mm -hmm. are, you know, tightly guarded, right? So the ending, I mean, the ending like of this academia. movie. Academia is fucking, yeah. That's, one why, of the worst. that's why I'm in a postdoc, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk with you about that. So 
brief interlude. Um, congratulations, V Gates to you in Ashkenaz, or or is it uh, somewhere somewhere in uh, Europe? Is it? Yeah, I went to. I I did the the most praxis an American could do. I uh -huh. did land back and went back to Europe. Perfect. Uh, Grab that German land <laughs> if it's Germany, especially. You don't have to say where it is um, exactly. No, I, I uh, and I'm only here for a few years until I have to know. move on to the next. Yeah, because you you have uh, everyone talks about how uh, academics are labor aristocrats or petty bourgeois but it turns out at least now we are oh, no. precarious workers not anymore um, no yeah so yeah i am i am in a postdoc because mm. apparently even after you spend eight years just in grad school it's true yeah spending spending at least a decade in school yeah to get a phd and then not have any job security and then have to go for another few years to essentially do an internship, a glorified internship is what it is. That's what a mm -hmm. postdoc is. <laughs> yep. Yep. You, you go, you go work on a, uh, for a established professor who got a grant to hire someone yeah. Uh, but didn't get enough money to hire someone permanently. So mm -hmm. you go there as an intern, essentially, and you go do research for them. And then when you're done, it looks good yeah. on your CV. So then you can hopefully get a job somewhere. But right. because it's academia, you don't really get a choice of what college you get to apply to. I mean, you don't really get a choice about what job you get to apply to anyway yeah. yeah there's only so many universities in a given city so you know if there's no you gotta wait for one to open up you want to live in you gotta wait for one to open up and of course you need to eat and for whatever mm. reason uh places only hire like four months out of the year so if you miss that job season mm. you gotta wait till the next year so you pretty much just have to take whatever job you get and then wait a mm. few more years after that because it's too it looks bad if you apply to another job a year later and all of that nonsense so yeah. oh it's yeah and then you have to hope that there it's isn't horrible. an inside candidate at these places because it often turns out there oh, was yeah. and you didn't have a chance anyway and they won't tell you and waste all your time oh yeah no just oh god i was just updating my cv myself uh i have shared on the discord that i mean i can't share any de details probably i'm under a pseudonym but like still i you listeners will know that i am fine but like even if you're fine you know let's just say your partner might still need to get a permanent position and that can factor oh, yeah. into possibilities of you still having to figure out something so that's or you might have to split up the family or they they might mm -hmm. say we can find something but that'll take a year or two when the funding can go around or we won't mm. have anything yeah or yeah so might have to scramble here um, yeah and so i'm glad that you found something for now and you've done a little bit of land back i hope that it's permanent 
I hope you can find something permanent. We'll see. Trust. Prayers up. Mantras out. Thank you. So we're at this in this utopia, right? And we're we're suspecting it might be a plot. And sure enough, you know, the the climax or no, I was going to say with Kran Shinchan, the, the whole climax of that Kran Shinchan thing is like, uh, we admit, oh, yes, actually, there are no more salary men. But, you know, just do your best. And there's this whole chorus like to the revolutionary, to the, the frustrated youth character who did turn into a monster, but he decides to not be a monster. And I'm just going to I'm not going to be work shy. I'm going to go get a job and do my best. And there's this whole chorus of all the characters of the nuclear family, post-war nuclear family of Kran Shinchan saying, do your best. And that's this big inspiring moment. But it, oh God, it falls so flat. And similarly with this one, Nobi does Sky Utopia, the protocols of the elders of Zion of Doraemon. Uh, the ending, we build to the ending. And sure enough, it turns out the elders are all just robots. They're automata, like Disneyland. And under them, controlling them, suddenly pops up the final boss, who is known as Dr. Ray, like a ray of light, because his machine collects rays of light, and that's how he brainwashes people. This is the thing. And he, you can debate. This is the thing that I was not able to get a picture to show Prez. I didn't have the presence of mind when I was watching it the one time to get out my phone and take a bootleg picture of Dr. Ray. Um, so you can debate about how Jewy you think he is. I don't know. But <laughs> I I would think pretty much. I don't know. He's your, you know, he's your Japanese kind of mad scientist figure, you know, big nose, big ears uh, and wild hair and everything. And he's pulling the levers and and he's the man behind the curtain right that they have to defeat at the end uh but they finally defeat him and it's a happy ending and so on and they go back to their daily life with the heartwarming lesson that we should never try to make a better world and we should always just accept our place because anybody who tries to you know for example educate every member of society uh give people equal opportunities to develop their talents and create promote human flourishing obviously they're some kind of great scheme some kind of great plot to just control you and rule you and you need to reject it better things are not possible better things are not possible just keep on keeping on is the message of this one as well oh my god but the bourgeois pig slop is is wearing so thin you know it, it felt so thin and threadbare i can't believe people still fall for it but i think i think some they're people not, do they're not even trying anymore mm. i mean in america they barely it's... make any new i mean it's a similar situation with like old ip isn't it yeah i could go on about how much barbie suck but that, that'll you could all of your listeners but um it made so much money that all of these brands now are saying we're going to stop making like original work and we're just going to pivot to rehashing IP. Yeah. Um, which is kind of impressive, but also at the same time, not really. 
especially with all of these writer strikes and trying to extract as much money as possible from these uh, these workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly Because how many that people do too. you really have to pay? Oh, yeah. How real do you think AI even is e either? You know, this mask of automation, it's revealed again and again to be like, oh, they just are trying to squeeze more, squeeze the wages I don't down. think it's going to do anything useful in terms of writing. I think it might Right? be good at doing I hope outlines not. of, of basic stuff, but I think for like very complex things of, you know, this is going to sound pretentious, but, Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, writing a, writing a basic outline script for a reality show or a basic outline script for one of the million uh academic papers on why political polarization in the U.S. keeps happening is not going to be difficult for AI. No. But writing like a, a, a movie script for a very complex film or a very complex theoretical piece is not going to happen for a very long time. Um, Coming out with an actual creative idea and executing it. yeah. Something that's really revolutionary that really changes the way people look at the world. Remember when, you know, and, and there was a time when they had a good system set up to, to, harvest those things from the creative uh members of the public and and turn that into a, a the amazing wurlitzer it's the name of the book about you know cold war pop culture right to keep everybody in in line and they were good at that but now what they're doing you know i i guess i'm thinking of like you know this is like verso books level stuff but i used to read like hito styrel has a book called duty-free art um New Dark Age by James Bridle, is it? Talks about how what's really happening is people are being trained to act more like machines. And I think that's what will really happen. People are being trained to expect and react to the kind of Marvel slop. Whatever Marvel hero just met their mother. Oh, it's so sad or something, you know. Just crying, just ugly crying, you know. Sobbing in the theater. Spider-Man met I mean his if mom. you if you look at if you watched the Barbie movie it was like a Marvel movie for Clinton Oh, okay. Clintonites, um, Okay. <laughs> like I haven't it could seen have it. genuinely, I should I guess I gotta see that. it could have genuinely been. I was more disappointed that I wasn't mad when I watched it, and then getting into arguments with people made me mad about it. Um, like the cast was there. Greta Gertwig is a very good writer and director. Mm hmm. Everything was there. Yeah. But it was like. It was made in a lab for all of the Hillary Clinton supporters. Mm hmm. Because um, it, it was the same, like, I'm putting together a team kind of thing. Uh -huh. But instead of, like, doing a cameo of, like, two seconds of, like, fucking Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, seeing him for a, a, a half second before cutting to another person, it was, like, a weird cutaway gag of a border wall. <laughs> um, so like some of the jokes were good, Oh. <laughs> uh. but they kept repeating them because 
it went on for like two hours and some minutes when it could have really been an hour and a half because we as a society will not go back. We won't return to tradition of 90 minute movies. Um, yes <laughs> too too short <laughs> but ascension like, spans but i there's got to be a break though i feel like i i have to feel optimistic at that i'm just going to choose that as the upaya the expedient means it it is the most advantageous thing for me to believe because it's a kind of tensions revolutionary tensions are heightening isn't it in that they they they're choosing that they would choose to try to to gamble to make everybody that culturally dumb and that's what they're betting on i think it's that they want i think it's two things i i think it's that they want to make so much money and mm-hmm. you know what's a better way to make so much money than to have everything tie into itself mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right right yeah this started with star um, wars I, in some ways right yeah, we'll make the I, Ewoks I into little watched... cute bear guys so that we can sell the toys of them. Oh god, that that was very smart. Like there was, yeah. uh, I saw someone tweet that like they were watching a a Marvel show with their parents and they had to explain a scene in the show about why someone showed up after they had died like four movies ago. Because they've been paying attention to all of the shows and movies, but their parents like watched one movie six years ago and have no idea what's been happening. Oh. So like it's the whole Apple ecosystem thing applied to movies. Yeah. Um, Platform. Which is very smart for a business standpoint. Hmm. Uh, but ideologically it keeps you in the whole, you know, this, this very basic, everything is fitting together and also this this weird especially for marvel this weird capitalist neoliberal superhero thing because if i want to do this eventually i want to go back and what and make myself miserable and watch all the superheroes uh mm-hmm. superhero marvels uh and do some kind of content analysis of it but it's like ingrained oh, in my brain you. that there, there was in uh, Iron Man 2 a scene where they put uh, Tony Stark in front of Congress and he was like, I privatized the military. And he mm-hmm. stands up and like walks out of the room and all of Congress starts clapping. And mm-hmm. Noah and like the bad guy who's like, maybe we shouldn't be letting some multi-billionaire richest guy in the world walk around with the the most powerful weapon in the world ends up being like a secret crypto nazi oh okay okay Um, wow i didn't realize it was that blatant i actually have not watched thank god any of these but yeah and the blessings on you for doing that that he's in is like was secretly controlling the CIA and all of these other groups for like decades. It, it and like to know that you have to watch like eight different other movies and shows. Um, mm-hmm. But like literally, privatization is is good because the crypto Nazis can take over the government 
and they want to stop privatization from stopping the Nazis. Which, which meanwhile, all the private military contractors uh, keep getting put away at Fort Bragg for child trafficking, drug trafficking, cutting each other in half, cutting the heads off your friend and putting it on a something on a tree. Well, that's just uh, that's just part of weapons testing. That's not anything to be worried uh, about. Yeah. Oh, but I well, what I wanted to say is they have, you know, like Nazi, uh, all kinds of Nazi symbols and stuff with that, too. So actually, they keep on getting caught with all the Nazi patches in Ukraine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, no, there's, yeah, I think it's just a that is, that depravity. seems to be propaganda that once again is papering over something that is quite the opposite of the impression that they're trying to give you. Right. Oh, yeah. But I wonder if there's can you find a similar thing then? I'm I'm blown away by this aspect of the protocols though actually reading them the way that they have this double voice, right? Cuz there is the propaganda story, yes, the Jews are using socialism as a a tool to take over the world. But they they catch there's these funny moments where they just like the mask really slips off and it's just like they keep talking about like basically they forget to make everything sound evil enough. It's like, oh, wait, we're supposed to be this is supposed to be our evil plot, not like our good, clever plot that you actually really like as you're reading it. When we come into our kingdom, we're going to do this and that. But we don't want to do too much of that. You know, you got it like this way, um, but you get this and then it's going to be too much like that. And so we actually want to have this this check and this balance to it. Right. Because otherwise it would be unstable. So, you know, you can't have it that way. For example, there's this moment where they're like lawyers. Am I right? Man, lawyers are so dishonest. They always take stuff from you. Uh, so in our when we come into our kingdom, we're going to make sure that uh, lawyers don't get paid or incentivized to rip people off. It's going to be great. And they they totally forgot to make that sound bad at all, you know. And obviously, you the the bourgeois subject reading this and being let in on the secret, uh, you're just taking that straight as yeah, this is what we should do, right? It's very very detailed and very much like this is what we want to do. Reader, you reader are reading this, you know, and you're learning how to rule the world and take over the world, right? So the, this mask of like, oh, don't don't let them do this, right, uh, is giving again and again gives way to, OK, listen, this is how we're going to do this. You know what I mean? Well, that's the that's the and again, I, I, I'm saying this from a intellectual. And when I say intellectual, I don't mean like with the 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 liberal academic like well this is intellectual it's intellectually interesting to read what hitler said i mean like from a marxist like we need to understand what they were doing kind of intellectual curiosity yeah like it's interesting how does this work on people that yeah we see like the right wing today and we see the right and the left wing back in the day 100 plus years ago these successful movements you know if we want to call it fascism today i'm still i still don't know where i want to land on that for the modern mm-hmm. movement but fascism 100 years ago and then marxism 100 years ago um they offered 
step-by-step plans on what to do. Mm. <laughs> you can't say the same about leftism today, at least in the U.S. Mm. Um, the successful movements tell you what they're going to do. They don't give you platitudes of, well, we believe in whatever. Um, yeah. Part of it is organization, uh, of course. And yeah. organization, for it to work, they need to offer a concrete plan of what they're going to do. Um, it just so happens that the right wing, their organization offered a very concrete plan of all the bad shit they're going to do. Um, yeah. So. And it does match case, up so it, well with the actual stuff that we see the ruling class do. And a lot of this yeah. stuff. Creating controlled opposition, COINTEL PRO kind of tactics they talk all about in the protocols of the elders of Zion. And it, you yeah, can I mean, just imagine in America as well, the the your petty bourgeois member of the ruling class. You know, I keep thinking I'm my Volga Deutscher family, you know, in the Midwest, my father was a hippie and sort of tuned in and dropped out and didn't become an effective uh, leftist, sadly, because of that. But he refused at a certain point to go to the secret society meetings and, uh, you know, which was very common still at that time. You know, everybody would be chamber of commerce, whatever. I forget the exact name of whatever it was. He said one time when he told me about it, he was like, I could tell they were it was building towards some kind of weird sexual thing. Uh, but his dad was in, the, you know, the local whatever, you know, and that's why he could go into the into the bank and, you know, talk to Manny Fierschmeider or something or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you get a loan, you know, you got to just go to. You go to Rudy, Rudy Schmoodlocker, get a get a loan and I could buy some land up at this place, you know, they're just whatever the money was there. And that's because they were, you know, in this kind of lumpen bourgeois kind of class that could start a business. So, of course, it was us German Gentiles all along who were having secret meetings and brotherhoods to advance our business interests. Uh, you know, you can read about that in um, Manhood and Secret Ritual in Victorian America is a classic. Ritual America, Secret Brotherhoods and Their Influence on American Society. I just got that one. That's, that's on Feral House Publishers. But that was totally normal back then. And that's where you would have read the protocols. That's where somebody would have handed you this as you're learning how to be a bourgeois operator. And you're learning about this other, you know, this enemy, this antagonist that is imaginary and but is mirroring actually your real desires as a class that you want to do. So, you know, I've only pieced together after the fact sort of these brotherhoods and fraternities that my grandfather belonged to. But um, I wonder if he read this. I wonder if he would have, you know, if he read the protocols, that's where he would have read it. That's why. And what would he have been thinking? This is how we got to do this. Yeah, this is. Oh, this is great. Yeah, let's do that. I think it speaks to you. It recruits you as an elder. You have to become the elder when you read it. You know, the the. The thin little disguise is that, yeah, this is a scary story about Jews, right? 
And and most maybe most people who read it will stop at that. And especially if you only read the first several protocols, that's the main idea that you'll get from it is just, yeah, reality of human society is domination and control. And your only hope is to give all power to the, you know, your national ruling class, your national bourgeoisie and so on, because otherwise the international globalist Jewish financiers are, are going to rule everything because that's the hidden, the hidden ruling class. And they're the real scary ones. So to protect you from the scary hidden ruling class, you need to put all the power in the hands of the actual ruling class that you can see in front of your eyes. Right. So most people would have just got that. But I think if you read farther, you know, it becomes an instruction manual. It's wild. So that element is not in, in the, the movie, the, this Doraemon movie. Um, this very much is just telling you, yeah, don't wish for a better world. Um, there are some more hints about the historical, just weird historical hints there. When they are going to search for the utopia, right? They've decided, okay, we got a time and a place. We have a time traveling device and a teleportation device and all this from Doraemon. So we can look for it. Uh, but also we need a, a flying aircraft to get to it. And they buy a Zeppelin. They buy a Zeppelin, which is an interesting choice right there. You know, very early 20th century. Just buy one. <laughs> uh, yeah, they buy it from. Uh, yeah, I don't. How does that work exactly? It's it's like in Doraemon's kind of intergalactic <laughs> world that he's part of. Um, and there's this robot salesman. So there's this, this he's a robot um, and he comes and sells the Zeppelin. And there's this whole little interlude of like, oh, this is a shady, sneaky used car salesman trying, you know how it's like for the parents in the audience, are they doing this? It's like, you know how they can try to pull a fast one on you. Isn't that funny or something? And he's like, yeah, I got this Zeppelin. Oh, it's going to be great. It's it's a bit old, but oh, it'll be great. Uh, and then when he gets the payment, he's like, oh, I'm, thanks for giving me that. I'm so glad I was able to voice this on you. And, uh, you know, Doraemon tries to ask some more questions about it or something. He's like, no questions. Oh, you got, I got your money. Okay, bye-bye. That's a little funny. <laughs> yeah. And th so there's nothing Jewish about the robot, I will say. I was... I was kind of the like car salesman's a robot too. Uh, he's a robot. Yeah. The car salesman is a robot. Oh, Doraemon is also a robot. That's true. I always forget. He's, I mean, he's a, so he looks like a cat and he's very cute, but yes, he's also a robot. Um, so, but this robot looks like a robot. He looks kind of like C-3PO or something for some reason, you know? So there's that note, that note is in there. It's like, okay. Looking back, you know, especially given the turns that it took later. Uh, and then the Zeppelin, they get into the Zeppelin and inside the Zeppelin, for some reason, is a replica of a an early, this is what they actually say is an early 20th century German village for some uh. reason. The previous, the previous owner, uh, you know, liked it uh -huh. this way. So it was an appreciator so, of the early 20th century German culture. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> nobody's like out there's no german people in it there's nobody's like dancing around in lederhosen but it's, it's um, really like 1920s bavaria yes 
Yes, it's a village with Holzwerk, you know, the the wood that there's a diagonal in the middle, you know. Um it's all oh, Holzwerk German type architecture and and they sit down to eat there and it's food that would you'd get at like a nice western style family restaurant that maybe a lower middle class family would look forward to eating out once in a while at like Bikuri Donkey is a chain that you'll know if you've been to the countryside in Japan and you'll get you know the fancy dinner uh, is this like Applebee's or something in the US I don't know um the fancy dinner that you'll get is it'll be on a little skillet and it has you know broccoli and beans and carrots and peas and a hamburger hamburger steak you know this it's a, yeah it's it's a hamburger like salisbury steak it's meant, it's like a hamburger in beef gravy that's meant to be eaten with a knife and fork nothing real german about that but that is it for your average Japanese person that's like, oh, Western food. That's what they get in the fake German village. There's like a German Potemkin village that's magically made small and stuffed into the Zeppelin somehow. This happens a lot in Doraemon. He had like big worlds can be sort of uh, kept in smaller ones and there are machines to change your size to go into like enter a toy set and become one of the toys or, or something like this happens a lot. So again, you know, (laughs) there's these, I'm, I'm, I think it's an open question and it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts if you ever actually see it. Uh, But it's an open question how anti-Semitic it is, but it definitely is communicating very effectively the core of the actual message of the protocols which so interestingly, you know, this this piece by Jacob Cavallio, right? The the Russian Protocols of Zion in Japan works so hard to hide the actual message of the protocols uh, and make it be more about, you know, don't be a Zionist and don't found the state of Israel, right? Because it'll just be so strong. It'll just be, it'll rule the world and control everything, which admit it. I mean, people, there are people who think that, you know, not least on, on the modern Japanese left, sadly, Um, if you can call it, I mean, yeah, just, it's so sad Japanese Twitter because the only people willing to question kind of Anglo-American platitudes and question capitalism and so on are also like anti-trans and half of them talk a lot about the Zionists and they don't mean Zionist in the way that you would mean Zionist, someone who uh, is an, a nationalist and, and uh, right supports the yeah. colonial state of Israel and so on. But they actually mean, they mean the Jews. They mean actually the, in the way that the protocols talk about it. And they think that the actual, they think <laughs> that the, the state of Israel actually does control the U S Britain, et cetera. So. <laughs> the tail wagging the dog. Exactly. I mean, I think I've said on this podcast before, I think it's very interesting to compare Japan with 
the state of Israel. You know, Japan as it currently exists was refounded after the war about the same time. And it fulfills for Anglo-American imperialism much the same functions in its respective part of the globe. Well, no, that's a fun one to think about. I think you could develop that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there you have it. I mean, that's that's my run through this film here. Uh, thank you so much for lending me your ears so that I don't have to talk the ears off of my family about this. I can just... Uh, <laughs> I was able to put up with the... Hours of bourgeois uh, pig slop uh, in, in peace. When your kids yeah. get a little older, I'm sure you're going to subject them to your rantings much more. Yeah, yeah. I got to just, I, I'm going to try to give them a little space to just be kids. You know, you got to. <laughs> and they don't understand. But no, I'm not fucking letting them watch this film ever again. This one is definitely <laughs> off. This is definitely banned in my house. <laughs> No, my God, the explicit message, the explicit message is do not I, want better education for everyone. I, I think it's insane that it's like, don't want nicer things because it's going to make people weak. Like, that's the insane okay, thing. At, yeah. least, at least have the audacity to say, like, don't want nicer things because it's going to, like, ruin. At least say, like, we're going to have overpopulation and we're going to end up starving to death. Like the good okay, old yeah. days of the 90s and early 2000s when I was growing up and we'd get that overpopulation scare. Oh, scare yeah, that's shit. the more liberal angle. That's the it? more liberal shit I grew up with. At least I wasn't getting, Eugenics. like, well... It's just going to get me some eugenic stuff of like, it's going to make my friends weak and they're not going to be like, I like them. Mm -hmm. It's just weird. It's just weird. A robot is making my friends share. Like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I don't know what it's education like... is like in Japan, but like, don't they teach kids that sharing is nice? They do. And there was, uh, there was <laughs> movement back and <laughs> forth. Yeah, when I first came on the JET program, right, was the thing that maybe you can still do this, go to the countryside. Unfortunately, they don't send university professors down to the countryside, but they do spend, they do send kind of uh, uh, Anglo-American youth who don't know what to do with their lives, maybe, such as I was after graduating with a degree in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. They'll send them, send us down into the countryside. And uh, that, that was my entree into Japan. And uh, right about that time, they had done a reform called Yutori Kyoiku. So like education with room to spare or something. You know, there was there was criticism of like schools working kids too hard. And so mm -hmm. there, there was a movement in the late 90s of introducing this. And... Uh, you know, it was all, it was wonderful, actually. The, the elementary school education that I that I got to give is uh, very much focused on how to be a whole human being, how to make friends, how to be nice to people, right? How to make things fair, how to make sure everyone can develop, no matter if they're disabled, no matter what, what kind of disadvantages they might have in their background. Beautiful stuff, right? Uh, but I think there was a strong movement against that. 
And then because it, the adult world remained so competitive and because the, you know, maybe it depends where you're living, when you're going to hit that wall, right, of competition, is if it's going to be the middle school entrance exam or if it's going to be your high school entrance exam, eventually you will have to study super hard and memorize a whole bunch of canned facts and spit them out on a test. And that's the way that your destiny will be decided still. So even if you get this wonderful humanistic education in elementary school, you could still be fucked. And, and so then the growth of these cram schools after school, cram schools like Kumon uh, is the most famous one. And that's even spread to America, of course. So listeners will know this. That grew. And so then it's the kids who can, whose parents can pay for that and can schlep them to that and can right manage that. Uh, they will learn all that extra stuff. They'll actually get through the whole elementary curriculum in the first year or two of elementary school, right? They'll learn on the kanji much faster. I mean, this is the same. We're, you know, we're doing this too. You have, you're supposed to kind of have to, I don't know. I keep trying to sort of put the brakes on it a little bit, but it's wild to see. And then the, the elementary school that my own kids go to now has been hollowed out in a weird way. It feels hollow in a weird way because they are like low stakes or something. It's almost like it's not your real, at this point in Tokyo anyway, it's not what most people are actually relying on for education anyway. So it's this weird kind of in between kind of daycare and whatever. I mean, half of why schools existed in the post-war bourgeois you know, class compromise is as a daycare facility. We saw that during COVID, right? All of this, you know, are we going to not have that daycare facility anymore? And that was the main reason why schools had to stay open and so on, regardless of anybody's health. So, bunch of wild stuff. But yes, indeed, I think the the propaganda engines are working hard to drill in the message. But I hope the cracks are showing, right? So shrilly, this message of don't want a better world, don't wish for a better world, don't try for a better world. It's just so strange. Yeah, isn't it? This is uh, right now still what's streaming is maybe the Ukraine war one has uh, the Ukraine war one is now available in the rental shop is what I saw. I tried to get this in the rental shop, but you still can't get it. They still are trying to sell you the $60 uh, Blu-ray. Yeah. Not going to do that, but you'll, it'll, it'll make its way around to streaming. So uh, excellent example of the dark, sinister bourgeois propaganda that lies under the surface of anime as it does in all bourgeois media. The ideas of the ruling class are, in any society, the ruling ideas. But there's very, very distinct work that goes into maintaining them as such. And you can really see it there. So again, my hopeful, my hope is that the cracks are showing. And it isn't it pretty wild? I wonder, I wonder if they will catch wise to I wonder if they'll mediate it in some kind of international release. That's the other thing. They can change things for streaming. They can yeah. change it, and, right? Any given version that you see at any given moment could could reflect 
I know that for the that new Spider-Man, the animated Spider-Man movie that came out, there there's like a bunch of different versions that they released in theater, and they just put one of them on streaming, um, Oh, wow. and didn't Oh. make the other ones available as options. So it seems like we just lost all the other ones in in time, and they don't exist anymore. What? Um, I haven't yeah, heard of this. So and what are the different versions? yeah. There's just like little tweaks here and there. It's it actually I kind of liked it because it's it seemed creative. Like they they played with like some different animation styles. Mm hmm Um, Is this into the Spider-Verse? so like one, yeah, or through or whatever. I can't tell because it's all the same title with like a different word. So it's that one with, yeah, where it's like Identity Yeah, Batman, the one that came or out Identity, like a month or two. <laughs> not Identity Batman, Identity Spider-Man. There's, there's Woman Spider-Man, Black Spider-Man, and then, so the original film of that I have seen on streaming over my kid's shoulder Yeah, now and yeah, then, and, but it's done. It's okay. actually done very well. They didn't seem to do it just to have the the diversity quota checked. Mm -hmm. Um, oh i don't yeah i think there's more to it than just that in the in the first one that i saw yeah, too but that element of yeah, it is like a little bit funny because it's like oh we have uh, also anime spider-man there's like anime girl who rides a robot and then there's also porky the pig yeah. It's spider-man like a multiverse thing. it's just like a silly Yeah, it's actually version very it's very creative. It's pretty cool. Um uh-huh but they kind of played on that this time and they have like different versions where they tweak like a little gag here and there. They tweak like a a little animation style in one scene versus another in one one version and they kind of just release it in a different city here and there. Yeah. But maybe the, when they put it out on Blu-ray or on a box set, they'll have all the different versions, but on streaming, they just put one on Disney Plus and so Mm -hmm. you can only see one version and you wouldn't even know if uh, they had that they had more than one version um, so it's more of that lost media shit that we keep seeing more and more of and then of course all Yeah. of these companies they have different cgi animated edits um Okay, okay. Was it a thing where you could go to the movie a again and you could maybe have a different experience? That would be I a think cool you marketing could go to tool. a different theater. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's wild. Would they have been testing it on people? Test like feedback, like which which version is whatever, you know? No, so that's like, they do that as like focus group testing to see if they should leave a scene in or, or not Right? before they release a film to a wider market. So we'll actually have scenes cut entirely before the film comes out. Yeah. because they they the director will think a scene works well and they'll actually show it and it doesn't work at all Yeah, that's um been happening for a long time. yeah But and the that's idea common of like but diff this multiple versions actually in the theatrical release and within the same country, you know, for a long time it was like, oh, look at how they're making a different version to please China because Hollywood is yeah actually yeah mostly making money from the Chinese releases and stuff. Yeah. So this is expanding, No, this huh? seemed like it was a creative thing rather Yeah. than a censorship thing. Yeah. So I just, I wonder, like, what does...
please, uh, someone enlighten me. And, and, you know, I'd love to discuss this with people on Discord or Twitter or wherever. Like, what is it? How is this getting received in America? Because if you show, how is this going to play in America? Is is my question I'm getting at, I guess. Are people going to notice? Well, like, like, oh, this is the protocols. Maybe not. I don't I know. I haven't seen anything about this movie uh, in American Twitter. I wonder if there are similar plots in actual, all, all kinds of other things. And maybe it's something that has been done in an American kids movie too. I mean, it sounds like the basic, the basic message of the actual protocols that you shouldn't be a communist and you shouldn't try to make a better world is something that bourgeois propaganda, you know, surely has been working, weaving into all kinds of stories for a long time, surely. But I just oh, felt sure. like, yeah, I just felt like this is so blatant and uh, just on the nose, right? Just exactly what it seems. It seems like a very overt. Well, so check it out. Thank you so much, Prez. I'm so glad we got to sit down. Congratulations again yeah. on your new situation. I'm Thank glad we you. have a we have a slightly more friendly time difference here. In some ways, yeah. Used yeah. To, I used to have to keep you uh. up late nights, but now I can just keep get you up early in the morning. So, yeah, a easier. It'll be a little easier going forward. Brilliant. All right. Well, let's keep in touch. Uh, you're welcome back anytime to discuss anything you'd like to discuss. I love your ideas about these yeah. historical projects too. Yeah, we can talk more about that. I'm going to take a little vacation. So I just finished. Uh, oh. I just submitted my dissertation yesterday. Um, oh, I didn't so realize I'm the timing was little... like that. Congratulations. Yeah, I defended earlier this month, oh, but I, finish all the paperwork yesterday um right okay i i caught you right, right i'm going to take a little vacation uh later this month and then after that we can set up our little Perfect. schedule for doing the history stuff well deserved yeah let's get into the mediterranean history maybe that sounds really yeah. cool yeah that sounds good brilliant all right well, I'm Fergal Schmoodlock, and I have anointed you with the anointing of the kingless generation. Nayami tsuzuketa hibi ga marune usono yoni wasure nareru toki ga. Kurumade kokoro tojita mama kurashite yuko toku de kiteki yo kiki nagara nani mo ikotoga nakata Kono machi de